Previously on Sanctuary in downtown Seattle. That was the morning that Jose had come into Sanctuary at the church. What I remember most about that day was the, the feeling of satisfaction that whatever was unfolding, it felt like we were doing the right thing. That's something that you can only know by learning their story, not just judging by what you think is wrong or right, because sometimes doing the wrong thing is the only right thing to do. My job is not to try and figure out who is most deserving. My job is to respond to the people in need when, I'm, when I have something that can attend to them. Week by week, we're telling this story of sanctuary in downtown Seattle through the voices of the people involved. This week, we're having a roundtable conversation to discuss some of the feedback and questions that have been submitted to the podcast. Plus, an update on Jose's U visa and potential bond. We have uh, some potentially great news to share, so we're going to start off with that. Jose's U visa has been expedited, and a bond hearing has been set for this Tuesday morning, August 13th. What does it mean that his U visa has been expedited? Well, there's no guarantee that Jose's U visa will be granted, but since it's expedited, he won't have to wait four to five years to find out. Instead, the decision will likely come in a matter of months. If Jose is granted bond, he will be able to leave detention while he waits for the U visa decision and return home to his family and business, assuming, of course, we can raise enough money to cover the bond. So while this news doesn't mean our journey to a legal remedy for Jose is over, it does mean that the best case scenario, which is waiting at home in Lakewood for an expedited decision, is now a possibility. If you haven't had a chance to sign Jose's support petition, please do so uh, before the hearing on Tuesday morning. If you visit our website, sanctuarydowntownseattle.com, you can click the How to Help link And there you'll find instructions on how to sign and share the petition. Last week, we wanted to try something new. And so I invited an old friend of mine named Michael to sit down and film a piece about Sanctuary and Jose with Pastor Joanne and Pastor Kari. The early part of the conversation was spent getting Michael up to speed on Jose's story. And so we can skip that part for now. But later in our conversation... I brought up some of the thoughts and questions that have been submitted to the podcast, and I'd like to share some of that conversation with you. A lot of the thoughts and questions that we've received have to do with being a nation of laws, and laws need to be followed. Or if a law's bad, it's on Congress to change it. it yeah, it's, it's great in theory. It's, it also would be great in practice. You know, both of those are true. It, it's just that it's not being practiced right now. Um, there, the laws, the laws are very um, well. I think they're kind of draconian, but they're they're definitely not easy to navigate. They definitely are the slow ups that Joanne was talking about. It takes years and years. And Congress needs to be held accountable by us, the voters. And so there's something on us to keep pushing and saying we want change, not just sitting around and saying, well, you know, 
Congress never acts, so, you know, what are you going to do? Well, you're going to keep calling, writing, emailing, showing up, rallying for change is one piece. That's something that's important for us, and I, sure. I find far too many people taking the pass and saying, oh, well, you know, what are you going to do? We've also received some thoughts from people expressing frustration with how the media paints a distorted picture of ICE in their eyes, or that we're demonizing law enforcement for enforcing the laws. Well, here's what comes to my mind. Uh, we talked about this on a previous episode of the podcast that uh, one of our colleagues was not too long ago arrested uh, by ICE. And so in this great drama, they, you know, guns drawn and screaming and yelling and all this stuff, they, they pull out the pastor who's like in her bathrobe eating breakfast. Is it the media that's going to portray them poorly? I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I think that the reality is there is a way in which ICE often, not always, mm -hmm. often functions to do their job that is over-the-top intimidation, yeah. fear-mongering, uh, presenting documents that as warrants that are not are the not kind warrants. of warrant that you need to have to, to, to actually enter someone's home, and operating on the system of fear that, that I think is not even adequately uh, portrayed in the media to show the errors of this approach. To me, the most interesting exchange came on the heels of the most loaded submission we've received. Uh, one more question. I think this is a good one, and I've only got a little bit of space left, so we'll jump to this. Um, this person writes, I'm kind of angry at this issue for the fact that we give illegal aliens more benefits than we do our own citizens who live on the street or who don't have a job. That's a real sore spot for me, where our government cares more about illegal aliens than they do their own American citizens. And that is what makes me so mad and dead set against sanctuary. Whoa, <laughs> that's a... There's some teeth. Yeah. Ugh. Well... I'm grateful for the person's uh, interest in saying that we should be um, human and kind to everybody. Yeah. Uh, I, I think a lot of times we demonize those who are living without housing. We <clears throat> get angry about our inability to fix that problem. But I think it's a mistake to try and say it's an either or. Mm -hmm. And. Uh, I don't think that it would be fair, except for the fact that if you count being imprisoned in a detention center as caring more for someone than leaving them in a shelter or on a sidewalk. I mean, it's a pretty far cry to say that there are more services available to those uh, undocumented persons in our country than there are to people who are living homelessly. Like, that's just not true. Right. Uh, but at the same time, I, I will grant that these are both concerns that we need to have. And I would say that uh, the current administration's policies are pretty um, equally dismissive 
of those who can't produce in the way that uh, this president sees fit or can't um, contribute or can't look like what this person thinks every immigrant should look like. You know, why can't we have more people from the Nordic countries, he asks. Well, because they're smart enough not to want to come here right now because we're so messed up. Like, mm -hmm. that would be one answer. Like, I don't think my forebears would actually be heading to the United States at this point sure. <laughs> as they did. I, th I think a little of this, ago. a little of this too, I think they are not directing just towards the government. And I've seen this written several times and I've oh, why heard don't it. The churches. Okay. Yeah, the church, oh, the church cares about uh, immigration and uh, Jose, you know, well, that's fine. They're just ignoring all the people who are hurt and starving and things like that. But I'm sure you would gladly welcome a press conference to discuss Give Sherry. How many meals did you, know, you prepare last year? Last year we prepared 276,000 meals. 276,000 meals. That's one for every food insecure person in King County in that year. Okay, and then coming up here in a couple of weeks, how many 70, meals? 70,000. Another 70,000. So someone can suck on that. <laughs> There you go. Or there's I, downstairs, there's Mary's so Place. Let's talk about the Hope Center and your involvement with Mary's Place. I'm going yeah. to pause the conversation here because it kind of went off the rails and it was totally my fault. I get pretty defensive because I've been privileged enough to see, uh, to see firsthand how impactful this small community of faith, Gethsemane, has been in downtown Seattle. Luckily, my friend Michael got us back on track. I'm sure one of the shared values from the person who asked the question is if they see resources as so immediately finite, how are they going to take care of the people that they love as well? And I certainly can appreciate that. I didn't interpret from that question that the person was asking the people at this table, do we care more about uh, people that are illegal immigrants versus people that are natively born here or however they would say that. Um, I think they might have been questioning from more of a systemic place, the way that we're making our laws. And if they're seeing the other side of the aisle, on we on the left, um, and all of our messaging continues to be what, the, what we intend to be defending the marginalized, but all they hear is defending the criminals and the illegals. Um, it's difficult, I understand, for them to say, okay, well, I want to be party with them. I want to be paraclete with them on the rest of their agenda as well to, to change immigration law. So I do understand that. I, I always want to try to lead with like, okay, we probably have a similar heart for the, you know, the reasons that we're asking the questions the way that we are. Um, I also see, right now, there's a lot of like social currency and hating politics and hating nuance. Uh, there's the whole Facebook fallout of an entire generation and a half, right? Because we all got sick of politics and now, your argument can be reduced to let's all go into the same building and shout a few syllables that gets us all excited. And sometimes I worry that um, I don't know how we message then, because if we're trading in the currency of nuanced conversation and 
that's actually potentially working against us. Uh, I don't know then. It seems to be rooted for me in relationship. How can we reach out literally relationally to people on the other side of the aisle? And that's why I like questions like, how do we make sure that our, our hearts and our messaging is not hateful towards ICE? I think the person posed the question is that we don't demonize ICE and their job. And to not conflate those things is very important because when we're talking about ICE, we're actually talking about individual men and women. And we're talking about the job, we're talking about why they're deployed and with what methodologies. And so just as we don't want the other side to conflate our positions, I don't want to do the same. I think that's a really helpful piece. And one of the things that I heard you saying was relationship uh, as key. And I would say that one of the greatest, um, one of the greatest benefits of this year has been relationship. Mm -hmm. And and for me, that has come down to certainly primary uh, relationship with Jose and his family, and and understanding uh, a courageousness and a resilience of um, him as emblematic of the immigrant community. Yeah. Uh, there was one day when we were talking about something and, and I, I just sort of floated beyond the, the room for a moment and, and could see there is, a, there is a creativity and courage and resilience in this, in this individual mm. that I will probably never be able to get to like wow. that there I just looked at him and I was like I I know we have totally different backgrounds and um, you know we're we come from such different places both physically and culturally and I run in a very different circle of, of people with with kind of different priorities mm. And yet there's something so fabulous about us coming together and inspiring, I think, one another. I think he'd say the same thing, that there's a piece. He looks at me and is like, I don't, I don't, I don't know why the pastor does it that way, but we'll just, okay, that's fine. And we'll find a way to work together and we'll do this and, and that'll be fine. Um, but the other part of the relationship that's really been just life-changing for me has been watching these uh, varied groups uh, or representatives of different constituencies come together to work on the sanctuary piece. That's rad. Not necessarily agreeing on every part of yeah. it. Not necessarily agreeing on the strategy, not necessarily agreeing that, you know, buying this set of things or doing this sort of approach or whatever is always gonna be the same, but, but trusting and learning enough about one another to say, okay, we'll try this. Mm. It's not necessarily my way, but it will be our way. And that's changed me. Uh, I think it's changed our ministry team. I think it's changed our congregation so to be cool. able to stop and say, how do we ask this differently? Mm -hmm. And if it's not too much, I'll just tell you one more story. On Sunday, this last week, uh, and a gentleman came into the congregation. I think he appeared in the middle of the service, actually. 
And a couple of people went over to, to greet him and welcome him and say, you know, come on in. And uh, eventually he came in and sat down. And, and at the end of the service, he talked to me uh, and told me that uh, he had been a little boy when his family was, um, uh, was taken in the Japanese exclusion. And he was sent to Idaho to the camps and was, was, you know, a couple of years there. And then when they moved back, uh, they came to Seattle and they went to worship at Gethsemane Lutheran. Now, 60 years ago, Gethsemane was a, still a pretty solidly Scandinavian, uh, Swedish-oriented congregation. Um, and they embraced this family, as he tells it, in a way that showed such utter kindness and compassion. And it probably was equally as challenging in 1945 uh, and 50 to, to, to receive this family of Japanese descended people as it is for our congregation today to receive uh, this Mexican immigrant mm. and his family. And I, I just took such incredible hope in the story that he told because he wasn't telling me for a podcast. He wasn't telling me for a data point in the, in the archives. He wanted to tell me with his eyes filled with tears, this is my experience of this community. Mm. And what it did for me, of course, was to say, I'm not this crazy radical pastor who said, hey, let's do something new. <laughs> I'm in the continuity of this church's tradition for the last decades, where we looked around and said, who needs a welcome? Who needs help? How can we help? Let's do it. That's really cool. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, I, I heard the story too, and it was, it was so moving to see how moved he was. And we had that moment in the spirit of relationship, as you talk about that, that's so key, and I agree. I also just, we told you the factual unfolding of the story of Jose's legal, yeah. um, legal fight to, to, to get a remedy to stay legally. But we haven't told you that much about Jose. Yeah. We haven't really brought him into the room in a really robust way. I, I answer more internet trolls than I should um, because <laughs> I'm always thinking maybe one of them is not a troll. Maybe sure, one of them yeah. is asking this question like uh, authentically. authentically. And so I'll engage and I've some, you know, I've, I've tried to start taking a step back and and and, and offering people chances to say like, oh, you know, you should come and watch a Seahawks game with Jose. I see by your Facebook profile that you're a Seahawks fan. So is he. You guys should come watch a game together at the church and get to know him a little bit um, before you say all these things about him. And another person I, I invited to come and I, I love to invite people to have a cup of coffee and, and have a more nuanced conversation because I say, you know, the Facebook's comment section really isn't the best place to have a nuanced right. conversation. But maybe you hunger, maybe you actually do hunger for that. Maybe you don't just want to lob uh, 
cherry-picked scriptures at me and then accused me of cherry-picking scriptures yeah. <laughs> back. Like, and, and nobody's ever taken me up on that yet, but, um, but to bring, so bringing Jose maybe to them through, through the podcast a little more. Yeah, he does. He loves to watch soccer. He loves to play soccer. He used to coach soccer and his almost four-year-old granddaughter is now playing soccer. And wouldn't it be so fabulous for him to be able to go and watch a game or just work with her with her ball handling because he's just got, wouldn't that be something we would love to see a, a grandfather be able to pass down and interact with his grandchild around um, this passion for a sport so many of us love. And he loves animals. Um, he's got a lot of pets uh, that he's had to miss this year. And some of them have been able to visit occasionally, but uh, one of my favorite stories about Jose is that he, he, um, he tamed a pigeon. We have a little enclosed garden in our church so that he was at least able to go outside, even though it's a walled garden. Um, and the pigeons come in and out and there's a little pigeon that had some, some problems with its feet that made it hard to get around and, and Jose um, started feeding it and it would, it would hang out in the garden waiting for him to come outside and we saw it a few times just hanging out waiting for him, just a single pigeon. Um, wow. So yeah, I love animals cool. and it's just so easy for me to connect with Jose around that shared love of animals. And he's so generous. Um, he, his family does a lot of cooking together over the year and uh, there's always a lot <laughs> and we've benefited from that. We've always, we've been able to share a lot of meals with the family, Joanne and I, but um, there's always a lot, a, a lot of food and, and Jose, um, because we have so many services for people who are experiencing homelessness in our, in our block of the city, um, there would be folks hanging out outside of those same garden gates yeah. and he couldn't leave the safety the protection of the wall but he could um pass food through the mm. through the through the bars of the gate and he could um interact with folks and chat and get to know some folks uh one night somebody we have those sandwich boards on our sidewalk that um, advertise things like the Christmas Eve service or whatnot so people who are walking by can can see that information very easily and one night that sign got left out and somebody tried to walk away with it and Jose stopped them from hmm. from stealing it because he was he happened to be out in the garden at the time um, so you know and just hey you know don't take that don't steal from the church that's not good um, and so they didn't uh, just that kind of daily things that you learn about a person and probably the most special is is his love for his family and the thing i've enjoyed the most is his sense of humor he's I, so funny i have one little story about um, family that has come up recently when <clears throat> i was able to take his uh, almost four-year-old granddaughter and his now 10-year-old daughter in to visit him in the detention center and um, I had explained to them uh, on the way in sort of what to expect as much as you can explain to a three and a half year old what this is going to look like and and so I was kind of balancing between these two very different age groups yeah. trying to understand what to expect and what and the funniest part is my own mistake is that I said that they would we would be sitting in like a little booth and uh, 
at a table and we would use a phone to talk to him and there would be a glass between us so we wouldn't be able to touch each other, there'd just be this glass. But I talked about the phone and I realized afterwards when the kids got in there and they're, they're like looking at this traditional phone booth of the 1970s phone handle, they have no idea what this is. They've never seen one <laughs> right. ever. And they're like, what do we do with this? And it doesn't occur to you until they're looking at it like, to them and like a like, lightsaber. What's this? Like, what do I do with it? So that was really funny. But what I loved was that Jose thought this through. So we couldn't, I couldn't tell him in advance. He knew that they were coming, but I couldn't tell him anything about what was going to happen. And uh, he managed to figure out a way to sort of climb up onto the, to the ledge of the table side on his part so that he wasn't just square on looking at them through a glass like a prisoner. Mm-hmm. He managed to like bunch up his body and make a sweet face and, and laugh and talk with them in ways that, that really brought down the pressure and the, and the stress of that moment. And I remember just everybody's eyes just dancing with delight that, that the littlest one could just squeal and say, Abu, Abu, you know, I love you and, and be happy to see him. Yeah. And remarkably not say to me, why is he here? <laughs> like, what, wow. what's this all about? But at least we managed to create this space where he could interact with his granddaughter and his daughter and share love and hope and joy and bring down the fear uh, in that moment. And, and those things too are part of what makes it possible to keep going because he doesn't face you know, just six months entirely apart from them. He's uh, hopefully able to see them on a regular basis and connect and we'll keep paying for the app so that there can be video calls in. We're gonna track uh, those crooks down. On a regular phone that looks just like an iPhone is supposed to, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, maybe we can even figure out a way that we can talk to Jose ourselves. I would like to thank Michael for joining Pastor Kari, Pastor Joanne, and myself for this great discussion. Again, please visit our website at sanctuarydowntownseattle.com and click on the How to Help button for information on how to sign and share the petition. Hopefully, I'll be back next week with good news and details on how you can help free Jose. Sanctuary in downtown Seattle is produced by Seekers Northwest along with the Church Council of Greater Seattle.